passage is entering the kingdom through tribulation. Acts chapter 14, as we begin this. Father, thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would bless your word as we have this opportunity, Father. And as I prayed before, give us eyes to see, ears to hear what your spirit says to the church this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. All right, so we're going through Acts chapter 14, or the book of Acts, and we are um, in the middle of Paul's first missionary journey. We saw last week that he wasn't named first. It was Barnabas, and he was named last, but we're going to see he is going to quickly soon take center stage. Do we have a picture of his missionary journey? Awesome. So this is his first missionary journey, and we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of it, just so that you can get an idea. He started over there in Antioch, over there, over there, over there, over there, over there, over here in Antioch. He goes, sails over here to Cyprus, the island comes up here, Pamphylia, and then it kind of wraps around. And then what he's going to do is on his way back from Derby, Derby will be his final point, he'll bring it back around and he'll visit the same cities that he left. And he'll encourage the disciples that were made in each of those cities. So let's go ahead and pick it up right at the very beginning of Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Now, it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. And so it's pretty neat. As Paul was able to share with the Jews, he had a foundation i got to get my glasses because I can't see. I apologize. I'm just kind of coming over here and just getting old. I'm getting, getting a little... Getting a little the letter, I think the letters in the Bible are starting to shrink. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. They're getting smaller. Okay. Here we go. So as he goes, he has Jews and he has Greeks or... Individuals who are God-fearing, non-Jews. Um, with the Jews, he has, to, um, he has a foundation. They have a foundation of understanding the Old Testament. They have, an understanding of under, they have a foundation of understanding that there was a Messiah that was prophesied. With the others, the Greeks, he has to spend a little more time with them because there is no religious foundation, no, no foundation of truth with them. So... Very important as he goes through, he encounters both Jews and Greeks, and they believe. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. There's a scripture in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, that says, Then he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. And so there are individuals now that are poisoning the minds against the people that are coming to the faith. Now, we need to be careful. Each one of us is a work in progress. Each one of us, we have um, weaknesses. But we want to be very careful that we are not working against the work that God wants to do in the lives of his children. And so out of the mouth comes all of these things that are within the heart. Remember, there was a group of individuals who had a religious group of individuals that came to Jesus and they were appalled that the disciples were eating with unwashed hands. And Jesus 
straightens them out by letting them know. Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. He said, he, and he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So it's not so much the washing of hands that makes you pure, sanctified, set apart. It's the heart. And he's saying out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and comes all of these sins that he names. And so we need to be careful that we are not a stumbling block, that the words that are coming out of our mouth aren't putting others in the body of Christ down. We're not a tool of Satan being used by Satan. And I see it all the time in church. I see a set of parents will go home and they'll ridicule or mock or talk bad about something that's taking place at church. Taining the ears of those little children that God has put within their care. Saying something bad against the minister or the teacher or the individual that was sharing the word. And so we need to be very careful. We can have opinions, but let's be careful with what's coming out of our mouth because we can be a stumbling block to individuals. We can be a tool of Satan if we're not careful, and we don't want to do that. He goes on in verse 3. Therefore they they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so what a blessing that it is that they're there ministering to them, staying there a long time. They have people that are coming against them, but nonetheless, they are staying there to to witness to them. In Proverbs 28, verse 1, the Bible says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And so even though there is... People that are coming against them, they're standing firm in the faith. They're standing, standing firm in the power of God. And they're being used by God in such a way to be able to let them just continue on. Um, verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided and part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers, to abuse and stone them. They became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. And so when they got wind of this attack that was going to come upon them, they were wise and they fled. So they were there while there was persecution going on, but when their lives became threatened, they had the wisdom to be able to say, hey, let's move on. Let's continue to move on so that we can get the word out. Verse 8, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet, sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed and said with a loud voice, stand up, straighten, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. And so a miracle takes place and you see many gifts are just flowing and working, 
the word of knowledge comes to Paul, understanding of the fact that this man can be raised up, that this man, the Lord is speaking to him and saying, hey, this guy has faith to be able to be healed. He's crippled from his mother's womb. He's born in this situation, and for whatever reason, Paul is able to recognize and see the Lord wants to heal this man. He reaches out, and the man, by faith, as he is uh, lifted up, he as well just receives that healing. And so, again, you see this work taking place, and God is doing it as they are in just flow, as they are sent out by the Spirit. They're full of the Spirit. They're dependent upon the Holy Spirit to do what God is calling them to do. Verse 11 says, Now when the people saw that Paul had, what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. <laughs> they want to make them gods. They see miracles done by their hand, and there's a history that comes with this. There was a legend in Lystra which said Zeus and Hermes had come down at one time disguised as human beings, but no one gave them any attention or hospitality except for one old peasant couple, Philemon and his wife, Baucus, who took them in and entertained them. And so, according to the legend, Zeus and Hermes wiped out the entire city with the exception of Philemon and Baucus. The two gods made them guardians of a splendid temple there in Lystra, and at their death they changed them into trees which stood by the entrance of the temple of Zeus so they could guard it perpetually. And so this group of individuals, knowing this legend, sees these two individuals come and have power to heal a crippled man from birth and think, they're back. Hermes and Zeus came back, and we're not going to miss this opportunity. Last time, the whole city was wiped out. This time, let's make sure that we are hospitable to them. Somehow, word gets out to the uh, priest of the temple, and notice the next verse there, 14 or 13. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes, but when the, the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts and with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. And so a very dangerous place to be in for Barnabas and Paul. A place where people are beginning to elevate man because God is using him to worship and bow down and offer sacrifices to the individual, bypassing or not recognizing that it's God who is using the servant, the vessel. And so it's very important for us as ministers, as individuals who are used by God to recognize that we are simply instruments in the hand of God. And that when people look to us as, as if we... Uh, 
possess something greater than any other human being, we got to point people to the Lord. We have to say, no, to God be the glory. Great and mighty things he has done in us and then through us. And so they do that. As we saw earlier in the book of Acts, Peter did the same thing. Now, how fickle the crowd can be and how important it is to not believe your own press. And the important thing about that is not to believe your own press, whether it's good or extremely bad. People have their opinions. People will talk. People will at one point elevate you as a god. Notice the very next moment, verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes... They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. What a crowd, huh? You're a god! No, we're going to kill you! The very next moment. Now, many commentators believe that it is, it is at this very time that Paul was, for a moment, dead. As he's stoned and he's dragged out of the city... There he is lying, and the apostles, the other disciples are looking at him, wondering, I think we lost Paul. I think he's gone. Of that moment, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read this to you, verses 2 through 4. Paul writes, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I, I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. So many believe that it is at this very time where Paul is stoned and left for dead, dragged out of the city, that he was caught up. He says to the third heaven. And many ask, well, what is the third heaven? Are there three layers of heaven? Let's see if I'm... Barely get in by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Maybe I make it to the first heaven. That's okay. It's better than, you know, the other place, so I'm there. Yeah, many people think it's that or nothing could be further from the truth. The first heaven is simply the atmosphere around the earth where we see the birds flying. So we call it the sky. There's the, the first heaven. The second heaven would be the celestial heaven where God placed the sun, the moon, and the stars. So we would call space or outer space the second heaven. And then the third heaven would be the dwelling place of God, where you can no longer go, where you can take the greatest that man has to offer and just go into space, and the the greatest telescope can look way, 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 way beyond, but then we have these black holes, and they say that it takes X amount of years to get there, and it's darkness, and there's this void, and anything that goes into the black hole, it's just sucked into it, and all this stuff. Well, beyond that is the third heaven. And notice, Paul says that I heard inexpressible things that I could not utter. Let me, let me read that out of 2 Corinthians. He says, He was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. And yet, Often we see Christian bookstores lined with books of individuals who have gone to the third heaven, stand, stood in the presence of God, and then they write a book. And for $9.99, you could know what I saw in heaven. And we see many get rich off of this. And I'm not saying that they haven't gone. And I'm not saying that they can't write a book. 
But I believe what Paul is saying is there is nothing on the face of the earth that man can relate to that can describe the glory in heaven. I, 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 wanted, I wanted to tell people. I wanted to express it. It's, it's deeper than the deepest ocean. No, it's deeper. Than, it's, it's just the ocean fails in comparison. It's, it's greater than the whole sky. No, the sky. I mean, it's just so much. The colors in... Oh, just there's no colors on earth. To, and I think the Lord just said, that's for you, Paul. That was a blessing for you. And we're going to see as, as you go on that... that that was given to him a thorn in the flesh because of what God had revealed to him to buffet him, to keep him in check so that he wouldn't be prideful, so that he wouldn't get arrogant, so that he wouldn't think more highly of himself than he needed to. And so oftentimes the Lord wants to give us those types of blessings. And they're, they're personal blessings. They're for you. They're for me to take in and to just say, <laughs> That's between me and the Lord. I said, wow, what a blessing. What a time spent in his presence. Thank you, Jesus. I, I take that. I receive that. Taking me up, if you will, to the third heaven. Verse 20 says, However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. What? Can you stop a man like this? You're going to stone me. You're going to catapult me with big boulders, leave me for dead, drag me out of the city. I'm going to get up, dust myself off, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to share because that's my commission. That's what God has called me to do. Can you keep a good man down? Guys, we have an expiration date on us. And the safest place on earth is in the center of God's will. Whether we are across the street or across the sea, if we are doing what God has called us to do, we are in the center of his hand, the center of his just protection, and he's going to be with us. We will go through difficulties, but God is with us. It says he departed with Barnabas to Derby. This will be the extreme limit of their first missionary journey this is as far as they will go from derby they will retrace their steps as they head back to their home base in antioch of syria verse 21 and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples they returned to lystra iconium and antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And so the title of our message, Entering the Kingdom of God Through Tribulation. Turn with me back just a little. Hold your finger in the book of Acts, chapter 14, where we find ourselves. And go back to Acts, chapter 9. And I want you to notice with me, in Acts, chapter 9... This was given to the servant of God who was told to go and get Saul of Tarsus, who was blinded at that point. It wasn't told specifically to Saul. But notice Jesus says in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, But the Lord said to him, and the Lord is speaking to, what disciple is this? Ananias? This is to Ananias. For I, will sh um, 
Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So God tells Ananias, I want you to go and I want you to talk to Saul. He's blind. I want you to let him know that I have a plan for him. But in this section of scripture in Acts chapter 9, he never tells that directly to Paul. But this would be prophesied of Paul, that he would go through these difficulties. In our time of responsive reading, we read John chapter 15, starting at verse 18, and we read through chapter 16, verse 4. And within that section of scripture, Jesus said, guys, I'm letting you know before it happens that they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they receive the words that you say, it's because they were receiving my very words. I want you to understand and recognize that times of suffering for you guys is going to come. There are going to be people who think that they are doing God a favor, that they're going to think that they're on God's side, and they're going to persecute you for the truth that you proclaim. Jump over to, again, holding your finger. We're coming back to Acts. We're going to finish that off. But turn to 2 Timothy with me. And I want you to go to verse, uh, chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 10. In 2 Timothy 3.10, the Bible says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so I ask you, are you suffering persecution? Because Paul is saying to Timothy, The Lord delivered me out of all of these things and all who will live godly will suffer persecution. And so if you're not suffering persecution, then you have to ask yourself why. If you are suffering persecution, then you're in good company. You must be serving the Lord. You must be doing something that is shaking up the kingdom of hell, the kingdom of this world, and leading and directing and pointing and guiding people towards the kingdom of God. And yet, God is with us through all of these difficulties. Let's go back to Acts, finish up, and then we're going to come back to that concept of entering the kingdom through tribulation. Picking it up now at verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. 
From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples." So they go around on this missionary journey sharing the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is the chosen Messiah, the one that was prophesied, and they see God with them. But in the midst of that, they as well experience trials, tribulations. And so I, as I was reading this week, I was just looking at what's going on in their lives, trials, tribulations. Sufferings, difficulties, problems, tough times, sowing and reaping. And I had a question or a series of questions. Are they all the same? Do they all fit with the same cat- within the same category? Does the Bible differentiate between the types of pain that come into our lives? And I started out personally because I hurt my foot and thinking... Is this satanic? Is this from the devil? Or is this just my stupidity? And so I began to study and go through different things. And of course, the Lord is faithful as you throw those questions out to have answers. So let's take a look. I noticed in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we were there. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this is where we wrap up, where we close the study. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, where we read that all who live godly will suffer persecution, I noticed this theme of deception, and the Bible over and over is saying, do not be deceived. And so God is careful to let us know that there is deception that can come into our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 3 We left off at verse 12. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Notice verse 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so we will suffer persecution as we set out. And there are deceivers in the world, imposters, individuals that maybe are well-meaning, but nonetheless, through them, Deception comes. Jump over to the right with me to James chapter 1 in this idea of deception and not being deceived. And notice in James chapter 1, starting at verse 12, the Bible says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren." And so as it relates to being tempted, a temptation that comes from the enemy is meant to trip you up, to bring you into sin, 
to disqualify you. That same temptation that comes into your life from the enemy is a test by God to purify your faith, to strengthen you, to cause you to be more dependent upon him. And so God is not tempting us with evil, but will allow our faith to be tested because a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. God is not testing your faith for the purpose of himself. He's testing your faith so that you can see that you are weak without him, that you need to rely upon him, that you need to hold on tighter and look to him. But nonetheless, that temptation to sin does not come from God. That comes from the enemy. The enemy is on a string. The Lord will let him have so much access into your life, but remember that the purpose is to purify your faith. Jump over now to 1 Peter. It's on the other side of James, so just keep going to the right. And 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at a series of verses in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 13 says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So you may go through difficulties. You may go through trials, tribulations, suffering, persecutions, and all of these things. Peter is telling us, be careful. Be careful that your sufferings are because you're living for God. Be careful that the difficulties that you experience in life are not because you're carnal, walking in the flesh, walking after your own desires. Be careful because God is pleased when you honor him. And in the midst of that, if you go through trials and persecutions and sufferings, God is pleased with that. That brings honor to God because you are doing it as you are in the center of his will. It goes on in 1 Peter chapter 4. Pick it up at verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad With exceeding joy, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. 
And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Awesome section of scripture. Again, taking us to the fact that we will suffer, but we don't want to suffer in sin. There is a reaping and sowing that takes place. There is a deception that can come. In Galatians chapter 6, Again, a deception, verse 6 through 9. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So, all of these questions I asked, it comes back to the fact that, yes, we're going to suffer. We're going to go through difficulties. We're going to have hard times. But guys, we don't want to contribute to that. And I see people, myself included, at the expense of God's goodness, indict God as they go through difficulties, as if the attack and the suffering is brought on by the enemy when many times it's their own stupidity, their own carnality, a simple reaping of the seeds that they have sown of the flesh. And the Bible, once again, is clear Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. If you're going to sow to the flesh, what are you going to reap? The price tag of sin has and always will be death. This week, I had the opportunity to sit teaching that was profound. The theme of camp for Calvary Chapel Signal Hill college kids was obedience, the road to the cross. And so I had an opportunity to share, and many were blessed by my study, and they said, wow, that was great, and I'm thinking, wow, cool, God can speak through me, way to go. And then I sat and listened as the next study was shared. And the theme for this study was extreme obedience results in extreme blessings, Extreme obedience results in extreme blessings. And the theme scripture was Matthew chapter 26, I believe it was verse 25, where Jesus says, Father, if this cup could pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The verses previous to that, Jesus in his humanity, it says, He is in great anguish. He is in extreme suffering as he's contemplating the road that is set for him, the cross. 
It's right before him in, in this extreme emotional pain that he is suffering through, imagining what is about to take place. He prays, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. And you look at this extreme obedience and what it resulted in. The salvation of hundreds, thousands, millions that would be able to spend eternity with God forever in heaven. Because in the midst of what he was suffering with, he was able to say, nevertheless, not my will. I don't want to go this way. I don't want to take this route. This is going to be a painful route. I am going to have difficulty in the midst of what I'm going through. For the first time in all of eternity, I will be separated from union with my father to no fault of my own, but because of the sins that I will take on of the people who in the future will believe in me and spend eternity with me and my father. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will. And you look at the result. And so I encourage you, I admonish you, I exhort you, you cannot outgive God. You want to experience extreme blessings in your life, then it will be a result of extreme obedience, and it won't be easy. It won't be a cakewalk. There will be difficulty. There will be anguish. There will be emotions that stir you and, and you wonder, why am depression and, and sadness and, and all of these emotions that are coming in? And yet, the Holy Spirit, the word of God and prayer is enough to obey any scripture, anything that God is calling you and I to do. The word of God, prayer, and the Holy Spirit that dwells within us is enough for 100% obedience to God in every situation, in all cases, at all times. And so, can we outgive God? No, we can't. I close with one of my favorite scriptures. Romans 8, verse 18. The Bible says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There is a glory yet coming. This is not heaven. This is the first heaven. The atmosphere where the birds fly and planes are in the air and we see the clouds. But we are living for the third heaven. We are living for paradise. We are living for a home and glory that outshines the sun. We are living for something yet future. And I think it's awesome when we see the blessings of things in life because we obey in the immediate or in the very short as we experience delayed gratification. But we have no idea what is yet to come in eternity. And there will be no individual in eternity that will be sorry that they obeyed on earth, as difficult as it was to take God at his word and simply say, Lord, 
You said this in your word. This is the commission that you have for me. This is what you are calling me to obey. And by faith, Lord, I'm going to do just that. I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to take you at your word, God. I'm going to test you in this. And I'm going to obey. There will be not one single individual in heaven who will be sorry because they obeyed that which God was calling them to in his word. Amen? Let's live for eternity. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, forgive us for contributing to the difficulties that we have on earth. Lord, whether out of naivety, ignorance, stupidity, a hard heart, being calloused to the things of God, Lord, help us to recognize that we can't outgive you. Help us, Lord, to live for eternity, to look to you. And Lord, whatever happens on earth, whatever difficulties come our way, I pray that the things that we suffer, Lord, would be because we're being persecuted. And we are in great company for that persecution because we are in obedience to what you are calling us to. And Lord, even in the midst of that, you have a way, Lord, of refining us, of teaching us what is important in life, significant, what we should be living for. So Father, thank you so much. Bless our time that we have together, Lord, as we offer it up to you. In Jesus' name.